Hey everyone, welcome to the Higher Points Podcast. I'm Nick Sowers here in the studio with my buddy Nate Hyatt and our guest this evening, Wyatt Ayala, right? Yes, sir. Make sure, I make sure I say that right. Um, and we're in here on Christmas uh, evening recording this so we can get it out for you all to listen to on Monday. That way Dallas isn't texting me Monday morning wondering where his podcast is at. I'm not exactly sure if they're delivering mail on Monday. I would assume they are since the no holiday off. since the holiday took uh was on Sunday. But either way, he'll have a podcast to listen to while he's walking around. So I'm sure they observe it sometime. <clears throat> yeah. Well I wondered how they did the federal holidays. Like ours ours Christmas Eve was on Friday and then then Christmas Day was on is tomorrow. Like mm-hmm. as far as like being officially observed. So that's why I was wondering. So uh Wyatt is a gentleman that we work out with in the gym and have I've gotten to know uh, more recently. I don't know how long you two have known each other. You guys have probably known each other longer than four I have. Four years. Yeah, about four years. We were actually talking about that earlier today. <laughs> and so uh, I've probably known you for what, a couple now? About two. Yeah. But, well, I mean, I met you. Actually, the first time I met you, you pulled me over. <laughs> Just like probably most people in Sterling. I get that a lot, time. actually. <laughs> yeah. I get that a lot. It was actually, <clears throat> I'd have been almost four years ago, because uh, I had uh, had a taillight out at the time, and you, your Ford Ranger. Yeah, my old my old Ford Ranger. And uh, man, you upgraded from a Ford Ranger. <laughs> yes, I did. I've been I've been very blessed these past couple of years. I've lived here in Kansas, but um, you had pulled me over because of my taillight, and then you were like. Mm, those are nice Texas tags you got there. How long you been here? Oh, about a year. He goes, okay, well, uh, you know I could take you to jail. It's like, yeah, you probably could. I'd appreciate it if you didn't. He goes, well, I'll let you go, but I can't say the same for a state trooper that might be sitting down the road. So and if I see you again, I will be taking you to jail. So that was that was my first experience meeting Nick. It was very uh, very humbling and nerve-wracking. <laughs> clear cut very but you know hopefully I'm, it wasn't too much of a douchebag no well it was like five o'clock in the morning so i mean couldn't really you weren't too mean i was still not even awake yet and scared for my life so definitely got a <laughs> definitely got a w- early wake up call before i got to work that morning but. <laughs> you're you're productive from the adrenaline rush Right, and then I'd never had contact with Nick after that until I started going to the gym consistently, and then I really got to know Nick and uh, met him through Nate, and, you know, it's just been awesome. These these two guys here that y'all listen to all the time are two incredible individuals, and I'm blessed to be able to call them my friends. Thanks, buddy. We appreciate that. Yeah, of course. I'm going to cry. I'm going to pause the podcast now. (laughs) <laughs> and we're back oh but so um usually we just i mean you've listened to the podcast we just kind of start in on like who you are where you're from how you ended up being here you know like siblings all that other kind of stuff i mean and then i'll kind of you know grill you and ask you more questions from there so you can just start in and with wherever you're it all started one day when my mom and dad oh. fell deeply <laughs> fell deeply in love oh well, i think we can skip all the birds and bees, <laughs> bees section of that <laughs> Nope. Uh, my name is Wyatt. I was originally born in Mobile, Alabama. Uh, I grew up in Houston, Texas for most of my life. And uh, my brother is well, kind of uh, separated at birth type brothers. Uh, we grew up together and he came up to Sterling to play ball. And that's how we met Nate. And 
I just really didn't have a whole lot going going on back home. I was uh, out of work and waiting on a job in the oil field and I was just living with my dad at my grandparents' house and kind of just ready to get out and stretch my legs on my own. So he told me about a job opportunity to come up here to Kansas and I took it. And, you know, I don't, I don't regret it one bit. Was that with Royers or? Yes. Oh, okay. So you've been with Royers Royers the whole time. And, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was quite interesting the first couple months because it didn't, it didn't all go according to plan. (laughs) How so? When I first got here, um, (laughs) <laughs> you're like smiling and turning red this has got to be interesting um i'm actually there's only one person that knows this but when i first got here i actually did not have a job so what happened is i got a call christmas day we were leaving on new year's eve to come up here i got a, i get a call from golden on christmas day saying hey they filled the position when you get up there you're not gonna have a job no oh, no I had already quit. I had already packed all my things. Everything was ready to go. I was going. So I drove up to Kansas with $500, a little Ford Ranger packed to the brim, <laughs> and a dream. <laughs> that was all I came up here with four years ago. And I had I had nothing. And the rest is history. And no job. <laughs> no idea where I was going to live. And... So the first couple months, I ended up I ended up working at a Sonic uh, there there in town, and I had uh, I had lived with my boss for about a month, and then uh, Golden had gone back to school, and so I moved in with them in the dorms, which is <laughs> a big no no, big no no. <laughs> Sterling College is gonna love to hear this. Um, he's not the only person who's done that. Oh yeah, no. I, 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 I <laughs> but their but their RD was very very cool, and and he didn't he didn't have he did not have a care, and so thankfully, you know we we got to working on our house. I I was only in the dorms for like a month, a month and a half, if that. So it was only a couple weeks, and we got to working on our house and got it figured out, and then had a spot open up at the tree service, you know, thing by the grace of God and. You know, the rest is kind of history. And so I've been uh, been working at the tree service for going on four years now. Uh, it's definitely been an interesting job, to say the least. Definitely the hardest job physically I've ever worked. You know, before that, I worked for a, uh, a company that built custom fishing rods back home in Texas. And then I tried to get into the oil field pipe welding game, and it was just tough competition trying to get in trying to get in at the union you know you had to interview in front of a whole board and you're basically competing for 10 spots with 100 other guys to try to get accepted and it was tough so that's how i ended up coming up here and ended up being a line clearance arborist of all things (laughs) never never thought i was going to be that when i was you know going through high school or you know when they'd ask you in fifth grade oh what do you want to be when you grow up Never said I was going to be cutting trees around power lines. <laughs> well, um, uh, it, you know, it's one of those things where I think it's interesting where you get people like when you watched uh, that show Dirty Jobs or whatever mm-hmm. with Mike Rowe and, and you see all those jobs like nobody w- wakes up one day and like and they're at school and they're like, like, oh, I want to be a police officer. I want to be an astronaut. You know, I want to be a scientist. Like nobody ever says any of those jobs. And I think that's interesting. But that's like one of the most politically correct job titles I think I've ever heard. 
That's literally what it is. Like line clearance arbor. arborist. That's exactly what it's called. Huh. That's there is no like, oh, um, you know, we don't just say, oh, we're we're just tree trimmers because that's not. I mean, that is what we do, but that's not yeah. just what we do because there's a difference between an arborist and a line clearance arborist. Huh. You can be an ISA certified arborist, and you're still not qualified to work around power lines. What's ISA? It's uh, the International Society of Arborists, I okay. believe, is what the okay. acronym is. So, the, so there is some like, like, like governance or oh, or, 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 or certification around all. Absolutely, that. and it's there's you know there's ANSI laws written about it and OSHA regulations that we have to follow as well. Yeah. So, it is a governed uh, occupation, I guess you yeah. could say. It's a profession. A it's profession. not. It's not just a job. It's yeah. a profession. It's I mean, profession. you have to be a professional at what you're doing. Yes. I mean, because let's face it, if you make some major screw up. <clears throat> and you he, drop a line or you drop a big tree on if you make oh. well if you make a mistake you're dead <clears throat> as as the operator you make you make a mistake and you're dead yeah um and not only that but now potentially tens of thousands of people are without power or more correct and now your company's liable for that and etc cetera, etc cetera. so correct. it makes sense as to why it would be a profession yes so if we back up a little bit back to Houston probably one of the coolest things that you tell is like why did you, were you in Houston? Like what, what, what drew you, what brought your family there? I mean, it's just always been home for us. You know, we, my dad and my grandparents, uh, moved there from California in early eighties. And that's where my dad and my aunt, and my uncle, they grew up. My grandparents have been in the same house since early eighties, which is in like in Houston, which is can like if you you say you're from Houston, you know that can mean anywhere from Galveston to all the way up to the um, south side of Dallas. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. You know, well, everything's bigger in Texas. Yeah, so. every you know it, it could mean from the woodlands <clears throat> all the way to Galveston, which is to drive from the woodlands to Galveston's like two hours, and that's considered Houston. Well, yeah, but the actual physical boundaries of Houston is Beltway Eight. Is what most people would say. And so my grandparents actually live inside of Beltway 8, which is Houston. And they've so you, been you didn't move there for your dad's job then? So I'm, I'm getting that. Oh, okay. Sorry. I'm just kind of setting bad. up the my origins. My bad. My bad. Setting up the origins. So my dad worked as a uh, computer engineer for a very long time, computer tech. You know, he's one of the very first guys that was really early into the game and just kind of un- understood how they worked. You know, because they really didn't start advancing till early 90s, late 90s. And so my dad got very good at understanding the language of how they work and how they're built. And he started out for a couple cybersecurity companies, I believe, when I was really young. And then got into medical machines and fixing them. And had an opportunity to go and work for United Space Alliance, which at the time was the big largest contractor for NASA. So he got on at USA and started building uh, laptops and programming laptops and stuff like that that are still on the International Space Station to this day. Yeah, I, that's always fascinating to me. Um, and just like, so so, what what drew him to the technology? Why did he, why did he I, like that? You know, I've never actually asked him that question. Yeah. It's just, I guess it was just something he was interested in and it was new at the time and he just got it. It just you know, clicked for him. It was just something that, that registered with him and he understood and he's still in tech 
you know, he still does stuff with computers to this day. And now he's doing more like technical writing stuff and trying to focus more on the cybersecurity aspect of things. That's what, where all the money is too right now. Right. You know, because <clears throat> after, I guess it had been 08 when uh, Obama took office and kind of killed the shuttle program. That really, that really smashed the aerospace industry. And that's kind of what caused my dad to get out of it because it was either you try to stay in and get on with Lockheed or somebody like that, or you had to move out to California and he wasn't about to pick up three kids and his wife and move us all out to California, you know, especially with how it is now. Well, so where, where, so you said three kids, where are you at in the birth order? And I'd be you have brothers, sisters? the middle. I have two sisters, one older and one younger. So, uh, do you ever, do you ever feel like the old analogy is true where the middle kid seems kind of like invisible at times? Is that accurate? I mean, yes and no. I wouldn't say invisible. Uh, I definitely got in trouble the most because I was the middle and the only boy. So. <laughs> If if stuff went down in the house, it was getting blamed on. It was why it's younger, <laughs> younger or middle, younger or older brother. Hey, that explains why you're so resilient, man. Yeah. You're used to it. Yeah, I I can take the heat. <laughs> you no, know, I'm I'm always in the kitchen. I always take the heat. <laughs> yep. But you know, it's it's I don't regret it one bit. I I love my sisters to death. They're they're so awesome, and you know, a lot of these, a lot of guys. Especially me and Nate's age, they don't they don't know how to respect women and treat women properly. When you grow up with sim with sisters, and especially for me, growing up in a house full of girls, you learn you learn how to show some respect real quick, <laughs> or you'll get beat. <laughs> They'll let you know how it goes. Yeah. Well, it's like uh, Eli tonight on the way here. He was calling me. He was at, with a friend, and um, hang on, I'm gonna. Let's, I want to edit this out, so let's just do room tone of this for a second. That should work. So it was like I was talking to Eli on the way here. <clears throat> he was over at some friend's houses, and there was a couple of girls that he was walking home with. Evidently, they somehow conned him into walking literally across Sterling. I remember doing these things when I was a young teenager, and there were girls involved. <laughs> um, but he, they, they somehow conned him into walking all the way across town with them from their house to my house to pick up a package of hot dogs so they could take the hot dogs back to their house to make m macaroni and cheese with hot dogs. <laughs> and he, so he calls me, and he's like, He's like, hey, is it okay if they come inside? And I was like, son, it's it's 31 degrees outside. Yes. Like, you know, he's like, well, but, the, you know, and the family and stuff. So I said, well, not only that, but it'd be the very gentlemanly thing of you to invite them into our home where they could, you know, chill and relax. As, right. Are you just going to leave them out on the porch in the cold while you go get the hot dogs? <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. Not to mention if. And I don't. And of course, you know, talking to him. You never know if he has any romantic aspirations or anything. Right. So you he was can probably never... hoping that uh, <clears throat> that you would say no, so that uh, he wouldn't catch a bunch of grief for it. <laughs> yeah, and, and be embarrassed. He's, he's still young, so yeah. I could see how he's probably like a little shaky about the subject. But yeah, that's one thing I try to teach my sons. You know, is like how to treat a woman, but also my daughter how to be treated by a man. But um, 
<clears throat> so that's 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 another thing that I always thought was intriguing about you is like both you and Nate and Nate's heard me say this many times is is like you guys seem like you're advanced beyond your years when it comes to where you're at for your guys's you know age range not that we're significant in age range like there's 20 or 30 years difference or something but your work ethics um your ethics of like just how you handle life and how you handle like your perceptions on like women and work and everything is just different than others. And so uh, I just kind of curious, where did, where did that come from for you? That's just how I was raised. I mean, from starts with, you know, lessons and just how to act from both sets of my grandparents on both sides of the family and how I was raised by my mother and father. You know, I grew up in church. And so I've always had, you know, the set of standards that Christ lays out for us. And I'm not going to say I'm, I'm holy, I'm holy or better than thou and stuff like that. Cause I'm not, you know, nobody's perfect and no one's going to ever come close to Jesus Christ. You know, it's hard to, hard to, hard to live up to somebody that was perfect. <laughs> I'd say imper- impossible would be the word <laughs> yeah, you're looking it's, for. It's impossible. <clears throat> As a debt we can never repay. Absolutely. That's so, why it was but, given by grace. But just trying to, you know, leave a Christ-like life as much as I can is also a big, a huge part of how I was raised and, you know, taught to act around people. Um, What really pains me is even, like, for guys like Nate and I's age and a lot of these guys that I see coming up, like, you know, we see all those little high schoolers and some of those football players in the in the weight room and stuff all the time and just how they act and treat people is not good at all and i see guys at work that just talk to these older guys with absolute disrespect i mean it's it's weird for me cuz i'm in a position of management so i have guys that work under me that are much older than me and so i try not to be like terrible towards them and disrespectful because I, I mean, at the end of the day, they're still my elders. You know, I'm not going to treat them like somebody my age or younger. And I mean, you should. By the way, you should treat everybody with respect, regardless of their age. But just the way some of these kids act and treat older people, just I mean, I I look at them and I'm like, dude, if I ever said something like that to my <laughs> my grandparents or my dad, it or my mom, I'd be six feet under. You know, I'd teeth be, knocked out of your head. I'd be in the grave, <laughs> it, and it just it blows my mind the way that people talk to their elders. And well, I was talking to uh, Porsche one day, and he was telling me that like one of the things that he noticed when he first moved out to the Midwest was how nice people were, right? And like just wanting to help you out, and just like just doing. And he was like, "Where I'm from, it's always like the I'm going to help you out, but then like you owe me, right? Or like I want something in return, and so." You know, that's why I think that culture change that Nate and I talked about in like what two or three podcasts ago is, is important. I mean, cause you see that culture that people like Porsche came from and it, it gives you kind of like a bird's eye view of like what it was like from where he came from. Right. Versus the way it is here. And that's one thing I love about living where we're at because it seems like we're kind of insulated the most because it seems like things start on the coasts, obviously. I was about to and say then, the like, same thing. Work Absolutely. And work their way in. Absolutely. Like some of the stuff that I see here, like some of the fashion, like just based on clothes and like mannerisms and things that people say, we were doing that back home two years ago, just like some of the lingo and yeah. stuff like that that I've heard here. 
And I'm like, that's interesting <laughs> that it's still around. Um, but it's just a foreign concept for me to think, well, I got you something, now you owe me something. I'm like, wait, right. what? Like, that doesn't make sense. And I was going to say, another thing is obviously, you know, famously Southern hospitality yeah. and, and just how you know, it's just, it's almost like an unwritten codex of how, you know, Southern charm and like how Southern men are spoke to, supposed to act and uh, be respectful towards others. And so I kind of think that's another, just another way I was raised it. You know, people, kids are raised like that everywhere. And to your, to that point you were talking about where Porsche, that people here are just generally nice. That's, that's true. I mean, I, I grew up in Houston. It's one of the largest cities in the world. Not everybody is, you know, Southern charm like Annie Griffith. You'd see something <laughs> on TV, you know, and not everybody acts like that in the South. There's a lot of nasty and mean people that live down there too. Um, no, I mean, no you one, can find them in any community. Right. But when I moved here, it was like, man, people are generally nice. I remember the, the I thought it was the weirdest thing when I first started uh, here for a couple months. I drive down the road and everybody wave at you, like in the cars. And I was now, like, "Now Wyatt waves at everybody." Yeah, now I do it. It's so weird. Like I don't under like for for me that was so weird. I was like, "Dude, there's like seven people that just passed me that have waved at me in a row. Like, what is these people problems? You know, the only people, the only wave you get back in Houston is this one. And for those who can't see, I'm I'm holding up two middle fingers. That's the California wave. Yeah, that's the California wave." But it's quite popular in Houston. Um, but I just thought that was the craziest thing. I'm like, what are these people doing? Like, it can't be that nice. That's got to be like, that's got to be like holding up your fingers. Just got to be flipping me the bird some Midwest way. I, I just couldn't. I couldn't fathom it. I couldn't believe it. What, how was I driving wrong? What did I do? Yeah, I was like, I'm literally even going the speed limit. I drive the speed limit now. You don't do that back home. You know, it's and then just. Getting to know people like my bosses, like the Royers, they're they're just incredibly generous and willing to teach. That's that's another thing. A lot of people out here, they're willing to. It's the culture here is so much slower than in a big metropolitan city. That's that's what I love. That small Midwest town. That's just it. Just feels like everything's slow. No one is in a hurry. It's literally like Mayberry off of the Andy Griffith show. It's just relax and the people here are always willing to help they're generally nicer and they're always willing to teach you if you don't know how to do something you know because you could ask for help with say you got to fix some brakes well okay i can help you and i'll I'll, I'll come and help you and show you how to do it you know they're not just you're not just going to ask for a favor from somebody to just do your brakes for you you know they're going to sit there and teach you and help you learn how to do it, so that way you don't have to ask again. You now I find that that's something that's pretty cool. You don't, you know, you won't find that in every community, you know, because everybody would just be like, "Oh, just go take it to the break place," or um, take it to Midas. Not yeah. my, not my problem. <laughs> right, absolutely. Yeah. You know, there's, you know, there's a lot of things that you can learn, especially out here in a very agricultural based state and community that you can learn out here that. And skills that you can learn out here that you cannot learn anywhere else, and you'll never get the same types of experiences in the city. Even people growing up in like in Wichita don't get experience that kind of stuff, like, right? As they, you do living in Sterling, right? And they live here in Kansas, and it, 
you know, it's they'd, they'd just be like somebody, another kid from Houston. They they'd never experience the same type of um, education and understanding of how the rest of the world works. You know, because a lot of people think that the country is just a bunch of big cities. You know, ninety percent of the country lives in rural communities. Yeah, right. You know, it's it's almost like most of us want it that way. Right. <laughs> and. I mean, I could get the draw to big cities and big city life for some people, but not, oh, it's not, cool. Not my jam. It's it's funny now. I came from one of the largest cities in the United States to probably one of the smallest in the Midwest. Yeah, and the culture shock was definitely real. I mean, like like this whole subject we're talking about. It's the people are completely different. It was it was a culture shock. Well, and the town shuts down at about eight. You right, know? like right. you can't get anything or anyone that, out. That that that. Tornado siren test at noon goes off. Everybody's like, "Okay, we're done. Go to lunch." You just everybody just quits. It's like, what? <laughs> you know, I, I, it's, it's hilarious to me, and because it, it's literally how they portrayed on TV, like how you know, st- like I've said multiple times, like Mulberry. That's that's what I got the my understanding of small towns from was watching that growing up, and it's like. Oh my God! It's real. It's real. <laughs> I was like, they actually do this. I love watching that show, and it really hit home whenever I went to the very first Fourth of July celebration in Sterling because that's like you know Sterling's thing, and I'm like, wow, this is incredible. It's you, named old fashioned for a reason. <laughs> yeah, you never find that type of you know community camaraderie or stuff like that. Or, you know, just. I mean, it's the whole town. Yeah, and it's literally like the whole town. Surrounding towns, say, too. And, and more than that. Yeah. yeah, people come from all over the state. You, you won't find that in a big city like that. Because it's all hands on deck for you guys when uh, it's time for the fireworks that night and getting well, people out of town. Yeah, well, when you can literally double the population of Sterling overnight, yeah. like that's that's pretty, that's a, that's quite a few people. I mean, right. <clears throat> this, this last, the last two years, um, cause did they, they did one during Rona, didn't they? Yes. During that time. And yeah. It was so very small. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't the, the, the population of people there was very sparse compared to what it normally was this year. Wasn't, but like five years ago, four or five years ago, it was like, you couldn't find a blade of grass if you tried yeah. because there were so many just people packed in laying on their blankets and like just waiting for that to happen. And then you got like the baby contest, test, ice cream socials, turtle races, um, you know, you name it, like things that you would never really consider thinking about that you like seeing in like big cities. And yeah. I think that's the donut eating contest. Yeah. I'd, I'd never even, I didn't even know a turtle race was a thing until I got here. I was like, what the heck? Well, um, and I it's think- like a big deal. Like I was talking, I played in a, a golf tournament this past spring and, uh, one of the guys I was playing with, he's a, He's a salesman there in town for uh, home lumber, and he was on the phone uh, with his wife while we were playing, talking. To, talking, he's like, "Yeah, we got to go out this evening. We got to go find some turtles and and get them ready for the race." And I'm like, "Is this dude serious? <laughs> oh, it's a serious thing. People take it very seriously about trying to go out, and they like they're like out there testing the turtles to see if they're fast. Like they decorate them, yeah, and then they deck they deck them out, paint the shells. They it's it's a very serious thing, and yeah. I, you know, that's not something you just hear every day, nor would you see in a big city. You know, it's very <laughs> cool the the community uh, fellowship that you get 
living in a small town. Yeah, and I think I think technology has a lot to do with some of that too because I think it's easy for us to to get our phones in our hand and want to swipe the TikToks and the Instagrams and all that <clears throat> and not be present in the moments. You know, right. that was one thing that I was like kind of with my kids was like, hey, be present in the moment. Like th- this family group is not always going to be here. This time is not always going to be here. That TikTok video, I guarantee, is going to live in perpetuity. You will be able to watch that at any time, anywhere, any place uh, for however long. I did hear there's a bill in Congress to ban TikTok. I hope that happens. But, um, you know, I think that's another thing, too, is is like bigger cities are all about like advancement and growth and, and all this other kind of stuff at, I think, some of the risk of what made our country what it is. Um, and, and that's not me saying like I'm anti-growth or anti-technology or anti-change, but I think it has a lot to do with what you talked about of like, whoa, you know, you don't see that, you don't get that. Um, and, and so I think that, uh, you know, it used to be that everything in our society was so inculcated where we were so in tune and connected with our community in every aspect that, you know, it would have been, um, unheard of for you to not come to a function or for you to not be there or something like that. People would notice and, Pro- they would probably notice in the sense of like, is everything okay? Like, are you hurt? You know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Um, so it's, it's one of those things where it, it's, it's also a struggle, especially with a teenage son of like, put the freaking technology down. Like, just trust me on this. Like, I'm, I'm not here to be the bad guy. And so it, it's, it's interesting to see your side of the coin talking about coming from the big city. Cause I, I hear stories, but I've never heard it put the way you put it. So that was pretty cool. Pretty good. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, I don't know how else to to explain it. You know, it is it's a culture shock. It's completely different. And you're right, technology does have a big place in that. You know, change is gonna happen where you live, regardless. I mean, yeah. shoot, just the, in the four years I've been in Sterling, that I've heard they're talking about finally building on that uh, subdivision that's been just had a sign there for like four years. That's gonna start start soon. I heard Big Daddy talking about that. He's been working on that for seven years, he said. Yeah. That's what he said. And then, uh, obviously, the new superhighways going in, ticking everybody off with the road being in construction zones, which I'm ready for that thing to be gone. <laughs> yeah, but our our little town's growing, and it's going to have a I, – I believe we only have an on-ramp, right? We don't have an off-ramp? No, there's both right there. Oh, we do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and that's – that's just going to help us grow even more with more traffic coming through Sterling. Well, they were, you know, it, it the, the whole idea behind that highway is to eventually connect like all the way up to like the Hayes area and everything sometime. But the thing is, it took 20 years to get just the portion that's done, done. So, so we may never see get to Hayes. We may <laughs> see get to Great Bend. But yeah. yeah. And, but you know, it's, it's interesting because they were, they were looking at thinking about, um, putting in uh like i've heard all kinds of things and of course being small town america you can't trust everything that you hear absolutely i want to put in like you know like a loves country store there and stuff like that and i was just like that would be amazing but i was thinking to myself well there's one in hutch and there's one in mac and i don't know like that's what really the, yeah close proximity like a truck stop style i'm like i don't see them putting truck stops in like that, that close to each other i don't know that truck stop there in hutch is full all the time yeah. very true right. they, they could probably could put another one <clears throat> all no, the time. Well, especially like Wednesday was our back from Wichita. Wednesday night, it was shitty out. But there was, Loves was full, the other one was full, and there was trucks parked on the highway and on the streets and stuff around that area that were... Okay, I mean, there's were, nowhere else to go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, growing up in a city, 
obviously I remember talking to some people that were like, um, what I want to say surprised when they saw wildlife. Has hunting always been a passion of yours? Is that something you've Actually, had from I when you were young? Actually, I did not grow up hunting all that much. Okay. I mean, I really didn't, aside from hog hunting, which I did during the summer sometimes. I mean, I... That's like I, a national pastime down there. Yeah, you gotta. Yeah, you gotta, and it's fun. And they don't stop coming, mm-hmm. so... You know, it's like playing a never-ending game of Call of Duty Zombies. They just keep <laughs> coming. They don't stop. We're going to be up here eventually. Yeah. Yeah. This, I am scared for this state that day because this place is going to be a gold mine and they will explode. Because, I mean, just look at your deer population. It's It's massive. I mean, absolutely massive, but the whole state is just a giant feeding ground. Yeah. They could take two steps in any direction and eat something. You yeah. know, there's a crop there ready to be destroyed. Destroyed. And the <laughs> well, deer and, and the deer do or already do a good job of it, but those hogs will eat it, waller in it, rut it up. I mean, they will just ab- and with all that food, I bet you they could pop I mean, they already pop three to four litter or litters or I can't remember what they're called every year. I'm sure they could probably pot, crank out even more with all the food source you have here. It would be a bad day. I know they do hundreds of millions of dollars of damage to cropland in Texas right now. Oh. If it's not in the billions already, um, then Kansas would be just as bad. Oh. If not worse. It would be bad. Those things run straight through a five-strand barbed wire fence. Yeah, and not even... I I had a buddy that we were hunting in a tower blind one time, and we had we had a herd run underneath us about 80 to 60 pigs and we were sitting in the tower tower stand and it tilted over they had kept running and running and busted through one of our beams on this tower stand and knocked it over so we literally just sat there with our guns crouched in this tower stand waiting to die hoping they would not bust through the plywood and they just ran around us and then went on and until it got quiet we just laid there and prayed I mean, they are destructive animals. They're aggressive too. They'll oh, come after yes. your ass. I showed him a video today of a guy that got treed <laughs> by this pig that's easily two hundred fifty pounds. I mean, he just had him pinned. He couldn't do nothing, so he's he's getting he's getting jawed by this thing, and he climbs up into this tree, and he's just sitting there like kicking at it, hoping it calms down and runs off. But and they are mean animals. Oh. Hey, that, that, that then begs the question. Would you when you have a a badger and a hog fight each other? Which one do you think would win? Badger. I think a badger would win. Yeah. I I haven't had very many experiences with badgers, but just from the two dead ones that I've seen, I haven't seen one alive yet. I'm I'm still interested, but from a distance. Have you seen the guy that pulls one out of like he he floods the badger den out yes. and pulls it out of the ground by yes. hand by hand? I was no. like, you are in. Same. Yeah. No is, way. That is a man that is ready to meet his maker and is <laughs> this not man afraid. Needs to be a Navy SEAL. <laughs> yeah. That man is is not afraid and he's made his peace with the Lord. I've I've seen them things before and they're nasty. Yeah. Actually Gunner and uh our old dog Chip, they ran one off out of my parents like they had it cornered and Ooh, yeah, it was I bet you that was a that was an interesting day. I was driving down to Oklahoma and I get a text from my grandma. She's like uh what is this that Gunner's after? And, like, she's, like, standing there 10 foot away from this animal. It's <laughs> like, that's a badger. You need to get them and get out of there. Oh, man. I, I don't know if I've ever told this story on the podcast before, but to make a long story short, an animal call happened when I was working in Pratt, the detention center. So I just listened to the radio and kind of try to figure out what's going on on the street based on what I hear. 
And this guy t- says, okay, can you call the animal control officer? I've got the badger treed. And I was like, you treed a badger? <laughs> <laughs> like, what did you do? How, how did, did you do how, that? How do you tree a badger? Yeah. Like animal control guys getting this call, like a treed badger. Like, like are you? What do you want me to do? What with do you that want me damn to do? Thing? Now just, you gave him the high ground. <laughs> I just picture him getting out of the car, and he looks like Ronnie Coleman, and the badger's like, uh, uh-uh. uh, <laughs> just gets into a tree or something. Close the door and leave. But from a conservation aspect, um, I've heard that the re- one of the reasons Kansas has like hog hunting outlawed in any way shape or form is because they know that people will want to make money off of that prospect and then release hogs here and then make that even worse and so they're trying to keep that from happening right and i've I've heard stories they're almost kind of like whispers here and there of people that have hit them or you know that they're they fight them down at the border here and there between kansas and oklahoma but i mean it's not it's kind of like the mountain lines here it's you, you don't it's something you hear about very rarely, and it's not, it's not a big deal. But when it is, you're like, "Whoa, that's that's kind of a close call." Um, there's a, there's but, a mountain lion that hangs out around my parents' house, right? And we've we've talked about that, and there's been reports of uh, uh, people seeing them. And I guess I think it was during the Fourth of July that somebody hit one up on Fifty Six Highway. Somewhere between uh, the ethanol plant on 14 and 56 Highway that somebody hit when they were talking about that on the 4th of July last year. Uh, one of the Jones, I think it was Shannon, was trying to go up there and try to see if he could see it. Oh, yeah. I thought you were going to say it was them that hit it. it was like, no, Ooh. but I think <laughs> that he, explains it. <laughs> he was, he was going to go up there and try to see if it was still there, but I guess they'd come and pick it up on the high, either highway or animal control or uh, KWP came up there and got it. I know a lot of times they had trackers in them, those mountain lions did, but, I mean, they've probably bred enough now to where there's ones that don't. Well, right. KDWP, for the longest time, just denied that they ever existed. Until because, about five or six years ago, Well, because then, then if you acknowledge their existence, now you have to start doing, like, management and, and all mm-hmm. that other kind right. of stuff, too. So Well, it's kind of like the elk now that have been in our area, like that guy that shot one just there south of Raymond. Yeah. He, I mean, the state knows they're there, but now the the herd's starting to grow and spread because they're down by Kingman is where this herd is for the most part. Yeah, this old boy had a a farm and then died, or he they were released at the end of his like before he died. He released this herd of elk, and they're starting to huh. So from a hunter's perspective, like what does that do to the ecosystem that hasn't had something like that in it? Is it good, bad? The well, elk neutral well, or native here originally? Yeah, they were originally a, a native species oh, okay. here of the grasslands. You know, they they not lived, hogs. They, <laughs> yeah, they yeah. Lived, I'm not talking about the hogs. I'm talking about the elk. They yeah. lived the hogs. I understand. Yeah, they lived and thrived just along alongside the buffalo, just like you know any other in the prairie dogs and all the other things that have been here for. Hundreds and hundreds of years. You know, so they're originally from here, but herds of elk would do a lot of damage to farm ground too. What I'm about to get at is, you know, deer, deer, they do their thing. They they're annoying. They tear wheat fields up, and but they don't tear a fence down. Yeah, they don't tear a fence down. They're yeah. not trampling thousands of acres. Well, you get a herd of a couple hundred elk, and they start rolling just like buffalo. Yeah, they're they're gonna tear some ground up, and they can go through some food because they they're twice the size of deer right so they consume twice the food you know it's cool from a from a hunter's aspect like i'm, I'm pumped i could i would love to do an i elk could hunt. shoot elk Absolutely in my backyard are you kidding me and not have to travel to another state 
Yeah, and pay five thousand dollars at, the, at exactly. like a minimum. Excuse me, a minimum of five thousand right. dollars. I know, to like get uh, that hunt going at that Timber Hills place we used to go to out in eastern Kansas. It was like twelve thousand dollars for a nice bull elk to shoot one of them out there. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's insane what you would pay. Sorry, I turned down the wrong one there. Oh, you're good. <laughs> it is insane what you'd pay for elk. Um, but that'd be sick. If you could, you know, start getting them here, like that guy that shot it, he was a big elk hunter. He was actually in Colorado elk hunting when he got the picture, I believe is what the story I was told. And he came home from his hunt in Colorado and sat in his deer stand for two days back here, right in his backyard and shot one. Well, so how does that work? If Are they managed by Kansas? Like, mm-hmm. can you get a... Yeah, you can get a tag. So huh. they have tags for, uh, there's a special season in Fort Riley. Because I heard they're down in the southwest part of the state. Like that's that's pretty well seen. Yeah. You know, Fort Riley, regular. and then there's a there's, uh, and I think there's just an, a general tag. And I think that in that case, it, I, I can't remember if there's a general tag. I think in that case, he might have had to call them and and get uh, over the counter or some type of tag to be able to take it. Right. Yeah. Because I don't know if it's just restricted to the Fort Riley area. Because I know that's where generally most of them are. Kind of like how a lot of the mule deer, like you can buy just an over-the-counter mule deer tag if you're a resident or a pronghorn tag. Do you have to do a lottery to get the elk stuff? Uh, I know in I Texas, think, like when we I went hog hunting my freshman year, like they don't have elk in Texas. Mm-hmm. And my buddy, like we saw one out there while we were hog hunting. And it was a pretty decent, I don't know, do you call them a cow elk or doe or like, what do you call the females? Yeah, It'd cows, be a cow. Cows. Cow. We saw one of them running through the field, and we thought about shooting it that night. And we're like, we could clean this and have a pretty nice meal for the six of us, you know. <laughs> We'd have a lot of meat. And we were like, well, maybe it's illegal. We called the game warden, one of my, or Keith. It was his, one of his buddies called him, and he's like, there's no season for him, so you could have taken him and not had an issue. So, like, since they're not regulated in that way. Yeah, they're not. But here in Kansas, they are. So, there's that special season. I'd have to look. I can't remember what the regulations for elk are here. But, you know, like I was getting at with the mule deer and the pronghorn, most people know that they're all going to be in the northwest part of the state, closer to Colorado. So, most people go up to, like, the Hill City area and stuff to look for those animals. Like, just like most of the elk are in the Flint Hills. They're going to be in Fort Riley, Manhattan, all that area. But it's so I don't know if it's just regulated that area. If you could just buy that over the counter tag, and it's good for our unit because the the state's divided into units for for hunting. And the same thing with like deer too, because like isn't Highway 14 kind of split our unit divide? Yeah, and it's it's also the divide for the duck zones too, and how they're because there's different zones for different animals, and it it can it's weird right in the Nickerson area because one closes one of the seasons closes earlier or something. And right. so like we could duck and goose hunt one day north of the highway and then that closed. <laughs> and then, and then that closed, so moose. you have to stay on the south side of the highway. <laughs> yeah. And you're and you're watching them in your field literally the one you hunted yesterday. Fifty yards away <laughs> oh, just no. laughing at you. Oh no. It's like, oh you didn't want to fly there yesterday when I had my decoys out, but you'll yeah. go there today. So what what all do you hunt? Like what what are you do you hunt regularly and I guess maybe what do you want to hunt as well? Um I mainly just stick to waterfowl and ex- I I would say exclusively ducks because I I just despise geese because they just piss me off because they're everybody says they're so dumb but every time I go goose hunting they're always so smart 
and you know they they bust us every time and so easily. And I've only been on like one or two that have been pretty successful. But for me, I I just I love waterfowl. I love ducks. I love watching. Them. I mean, there's some days where I'll be hunting, and even if I'm doing good, I'll I'll watch a group go by. And I just enjoy watching them fly and just sit on the water and just watching them do their thing. They're such interesting animals and they're all different. You know, each, each species has their own personality and how they act. And it's, it's really, really interesting seeing all their different mannerisms and, and how they react to different things. Well, the, uh, I'm, I'm sitting here looking at the Kansas Department of Wildlife and Parks website. And so there's an elk season outside of Fort Riley from, and it's behind you there, September 12th, 2022 to 1231, 2022. And it says units are specified on there. And it's archery only, I guess. Yes, it is archery only. Do you do, you do archery hunting too? Yes. Or do you do firearm? Do you I, both? Or? I, I do both. Uh, I've been trying to, because there's a big stigma with deer hunters, I guess. I, I've, I've just recently got, tried to be more into deer hunting this year, but there's a big kind of, uh, Oh, you're not a real deer hunter if you unless don't, you do archery. Yeah, yeah. Unless you you do archery, you know if you, if you take a big buck with a gun, people are like, okay, whatever, like that's cool, <laughs> but you're not that cool, you know. It's a it's a very niche thing to do it with a bow. It's a, what the cool guys do, <laughs> I guess you could say. I didn't realize there was a, I didn't realize there was a squirrel season to be honest. Yes, there is. They are regulated. Do you, so when uh when you talk about really liking duck as well, like do you like the hunt or the taste or all above or? Um, most people don't like the taste. I like the taste of ducks. Uh, How do you prepare it though? I think that's the important part. There's a lot of different, a lot of different things you can. What's do What's your with favorite it. way? I honestly, I I make it into a breakfast. I'll cook it with eggs. I can. I'll make tacos out of it. I'll make, uh, treat it like steak and eggs, or do like um, you could chop. Cut it up, chop it up, do like a hash with it, which is, uh, I think it's pretty good. I prefer to just cook the breast right out on the, right out on the pan or you can grill it. Uh, grilling it's pretty good too. As long as you can get the internal temp to 145 degrees, it's medium cooked. That anywhere from rare to medium is how you want to cook duck. Anything over that, it's no good. It's cardboard. Yeah. <laughs> That's why people dislike it so much because they just overcook it. Well, it's probably not a fatty cut of meat either, considering they're they're. It depends on the bird. So most people cook it like, like chicken. Yeah, like and, mallards. And, and so like mallards dry. are a lot hardier because they're a bigger duck and it's a bigger breast, and they eat fish. They they tend to eat. Uh, well, I mean, they eat a lot of grain. Actually, sorry, they eat a lot of grain. Whereas, like your divers tend to eat a lot, lot more little fish. So divers can are usually not very good because they're real gamey and oily and have a lot of the fatty stuff that you get from any type of animal that would eat a lot of fish. Um, so when you get like the duck fat in the stores, that like actual fat from a duck. Like, yeah. That- so like if you cook it right, you cook it on the pan and then you you let it dry just like you would if you're cooking beef and it sets on the pan. You, it's that's what it is. It's well, I've seen it mixed into a lot of things. Like, like for instance, Brian Shaw. Like he he mixes duck fat into it's a lot of his so, stuff. Yeah, and I'll save it. I have I actually have a jar at home of duck fat that I've saved just from all the duck that I've cooked, and it's it's great. It's really really good for you. Well, and also I think that um like probably probably be a little better as far as some of the other fats that are 
you right, know, all, all chemicaled up and antibiotic up. And, it's all natural and it's super, super healthy. I mean, you can't get much better than duck fat for your I mean, except fats. the downside, they're eating grain that are, you know, GMOs, but. Right. Um, I mean, that's, that's a topic for a different day or whatever. I mean, I, I'm, you kind of have to cut the, cut the line there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I shouldn't really say the GMO more, but like mainly like the chemicals and things that are the getting pesticides. Yeah. And, and stuff, stuff like, like that. that. Um, yeah, because they, they don't look at the label of that chemical and say, Oh, I've got to wait this long before I eat this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're diving in that they're stuff. They're like, right Oh, hey, look at that fresh cut corn. Let's go eat that. So, uh, so you do pheasant and quail hunting as well. Yes, and, actually, uh, that's probably my favorite I'll of be all the ones that I've actually got. doing that in the morning after this podcast. So I'm pretty excited about that. It'll be a for fun hunt. Uh, the company that I work for, they also own a hunting business, so I I guide uh, during pheasant and quail season on the weekends. So I've just recently, more this year, guided a lot more hunts than I have the past couple of years. I'd I'd be asked to help for one or two but most this year i've i've guided pretty much every hunt that we've had unless it was during the week um and it's i love it i love it you know i enjoy i i prefer to walk waterfowl hunt i love ducks but would you rather do that or be a tree trimmer i was actually getting ready to ask the same (laughs) trip the same thing right or sorry line clearance arborist (laughs) thank you you, nate for getting it correct (laughs) I don't know. Would you rather work at the hemp store all day or, or be a hammer swinger? Uh, well, I don't know. I'd probably get bored sitting in here all day, to be honest. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> uh, say so we're gonna go that route. I say I say I could see him going insane if he did that. <laughs> I would yes. go insane if I sat in here. Absolutely. Wouldn't have any fingernails left. <laughs> <laughs> so, so do you think you could guide full time if that was something that? Oh, like- I'd love to. Really? If I could, I lo- I I would absolutely love to. Because I was gonna, what I was gonna say is, I love waterfowl hunting, but I've really, really fallen in love with upland hunting. You know, it's it's a very niche type of hunting. Not everybody is a waterfowl or uh, an upland hunter. You know, and that's not. So for people listening that don't know what an upland hunter is, what what would that encompass? It's a lot of walking, which is a big turnoff. For a lot of people. And it's usually in the cold. In, in the cold. It's, it's a lot of walking in the cold in crappy weather. Yep. Because they sit tighter. <laughs> and it, the tighter they sit and the colder it is, it's easier for your dog to track. Right. And easier for you to hunt them because they won't get up until you're right on top of them. Instead of running down. You can, yeah. To the, en- rows, to the end of a tree row or something like that. If right. it, when it's when it's hot out, you got to have blockers and set yeah. up blockers. Because those birds will run. They like to run yep. and move. Right. Because it's not nasty outside. That's what it can get dangerous hunting is when you set up blockers. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was the way we always did it, regardless of what the temperature was right. when I was and a that's, kid. And that's how we guide hunts too. We we usually well, have. I, I was always the young kid, so I was always the one, you know, bird dog and stuff. <laughs> we have we we'll set up blockers sometimes, to, just depending on on what type of field we're one of whatever property that we're hunting. But it is it's so much fun, and it's. Honestly, my favorite part of it's not the birds. My favorite part of it's the dogs. I love watching those dogs do their thing. Yeah. What they were born and bred to do. It's, I don't know how to explain it. You know, I grew up with guys at Duck Hunt and, you know, watching their labs do their thing. It's awesome. It's awesome. But, man, watching our German short hairs do their thing, it's, it, it, it gets your, it gets, it makes you feel warm inside. It gets you tingly, it gets you going. Well, and they're, it's, and they're so high energy, you know, and they just keep going and going and going. It's, you know? and it's so cool, especially when they're, 
you know, my so my pup is untrained, but she comes from a, a long line of hunters. All of all, you know, she hunts with two of her older brothers and her dad, and they're all trained. So it's cool watching them work and do their thing. Well, my dog's untrained, and naturally, when she works, she works the line just like they do. We've we've recently just started taking her out this season. She works the line just like they do. She doesn't point and get locked up like they do, which is something where I think we're going to send her to school and get, you know, teach her just to get that part down. But sometimes she'll do it naturally. But it's cool to watch her start working her nose and, you know, she may not lock up on the bird, but she'll be working her nose and find a bird and, and flush it up. And as long as, as long as she's not too far away, then you're good to right. go. And that's what I was getting yeah. at. She, her distance control is incredible for an untrained dog. It's, she works the line at that 30 to 20 yard range, just like her, just like her, you know, her, her dad and her brother. She's so smart and just picked it up from going once to know that she needs to stay right there and not get too far and not take off. It's, it's so incredible to watch them work, especially the, the ones that are trained and you watch them lock up. And it's cool because, and when they send them to school, they teach them to honor the point. So you can have a dog that's locked on the bird and there'll be, we watched a couple hunts ago. We had one of our dogs. That locked up over here, and there was a his son was a hundred yards away, and honored the point from that far because he saw him lock up. It's meaning meaning he didn't move. No, so. he'll he'll lock up and point, and that's called honoring the point, even if he's not on the bird. Huh. So he could be over here and say, "You got somebody down the line." It'll let somebody know down the line, "Hey, you need to be looking this direction." It's huh. it's it's. I've never even heard of that before. It's really really neat to see. So, I've always been out with just one dog, though. So it's really, really neat to see. Uh, it's hard. It's you know, it's easy to explain, but it's it's one of those things where you have to have a visual rep- representation to really grasp what I'm talking about. It's it's really, really, really neat. And when they lock up, it's you know, like you see on the TV shows or in those dog shows. It's I mean, sh- head down, straight line. It's it's beautiful. You know, that's what those dogs were born and bred to do. And it's really, really good. It's really cool to see dogs, especially now in this age where hunting's not a very popular sport. And I think it's popular. It's just not popular in the media and things that are being portrayed to right. us. It's not popular on TikTok. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's, it's the, the media is trying to make it villainized. Right. And you don't see a lot of guys, especially upland hunting. Like I said, it's already a very niche type of hunting. It's not a very popular form of hunting, so you don't, you know, and you don't see a whole lot of it anymore. So it's always cool to get to see dogs working. Like well, because like with be. the, the ducks and the geese, you essentially just kind of lay in a field and wait, right? Right. You just sit in the blind. Same thing wait. with dove. Right. Yeah. You know, it's you know, and everybody's got labs. Oh, I can just take my lab out. You know, even if it's untrained, that thing's going to be like, oh, fetch, cool. And you can teach. <laughs> you know, and. That's not discrediting duck yeah, dogs because right. there's guys that send duck dogs to school and I've seen some amazing duck dogs. I mean, these guys, they won't, they, they, some of these dogs can't even see the bird and those guys will take them out, set them down and call them out by name and send them and they'll come back with that bird. They didn't even see it fall. You know, it's, there's some duck dogs that do some very impressive things, but, um, upland hunting dogs, it's, it's a whole different ball game because they've got, they've got a track sense. They've got to manage difficult terrain versus a dog that just swims. You can duck hunt without a dog yeah, for the most part. and you can duck hunt without a dog. It's not a necessity. 
upland hunting, it's almost, I mean, unless you can you do it, a, but it sucks. Yeah, it sucks, <laughs> yeah. especially when that bird goes down and that, and that bad brush or whatever you're walking through, it is almost a necessity because sometimes, if, especially if you shoot like a quail and you're mm-hmm. in grass that's over your head, right. it's, it's literally trying to find a needle in a haystack. Yep. Not Gotta only really that, pay attention to where it went but down. those birds are built to blend into their environment. So it makes it m- even more difficult. And it's, you know, it's, it's a privilege and it's a blessing from God that I even get to experience some of the stuff that I've seen just hunting in general and, and getting to, uh, just have a deeper appreciation for his creation, uh, which I think is missing out of a lot of people's lives nowadays. Like you said, they're always sitting there on their phones and, they just, you know, people just don't go out and take a walk. You need to get out in nature a little bit and go see and it. I, and I'm so, and I'm blessed that I, you know, I get to really go out into the sticks and just really enjoy God's creation. I, I've started a little, uh, this year I started a little hunting journal on my phone. I need to get an actual written one, but I've just been starting to write, you know, my sits or my walks when I hunt and just kind of how I'm feeling and you know, what I'm seeing and how the evening was and kind of everything that I've seen and trying to do a better job of writing that stuff down and, and so I can remember it and maybe pass it on to my kids one day. And cause who knows in 20, 30, 40 years, we may not even be able to hunt anymore. You know, well, I know that's one thing that you're passionate. So you don't, you don't share a lot on like social media when it does, but when it comes to like hunting or attacks on it or people that are just like not even close on hitting the mark on what hunting is, that is definitely something that you, you share. Right. And it, it, a lot of people think, you know, I don't, I have, I try to keep my friend group pretty small and there's uh, most of my friends know I'm a hunter. That's what I do. I, I'd rather be sitting in a duck blind watching birds fly and not killing anything than sitting at a house and getting trashed. You know, that's that, unless we're playing D and D. Oh yeah, unless we're playing D and D, that's pretty fun. That's something I've I've come to embrace. It's I really like D and D. Awesome, it's so fun. Um, but you know, and that's kind of hard for people to grasp. Like, well, why why don't you want to be social? Why don't you want to come hang out and drink and do the, all these things? I'm like, man, because that just doesn't interest me. You know, like, well, why why get up early if you don't have to? Well, because in order to do something that I enjoy, I have to get up early. I already get up early every day for work anyway, so what's what's the difference? If if it's gonna bring me happiness and you know relax me and not make me anxious, why would I change that? Why would I give that up to go do something I don't care about? You know, and have to deal with drama and other things like that. It's um Yeah, it just it doesn't make any sense to me. And people just assume a lot of the time that hunters just out there to kill. Like destroy. Destroy. Like, oh, that's how serial killers start. That's a big thing now with all these big serial killer documentaries. Oh, they started out by killing animals when they were younger, blah blah blah. That makes you you know, you kill animals all the time, blah blah blah. Every time every time somebody asks me, Oh, you hunt this, this and that, well do you eat them? Well, yeah, that's the of whole point. course I eat them. Why would I? That's the whole point of going out. Oh, well, I know there's people out there that just kill for sport. Well, that's, you know, get off your phone. Stop watching the news. That's like stop watching TV. And, and half a percent of hunters are that way. Not, I'd say less than half. 
I don't know. There's some pretty shitty people out there. There, I mean, there is, and I, I don't, I don't like. You know, I, I got we guide for pheasants, and I don't like a lot of the sport hunting stuff. And there's a lot of guide services out there that do some very crappy things. Like they, they, they kill for sport. They take guys out and just slaughter it, leave them know. in the ditch. Yeah, and leave them in the ditch. They don't even take the birds. They just take their picture for Instagram and call it a day. And like, oh, well, we're not going to clean half these birds. You can take this meat, this much meat home. That like that, make any that's sense dis- to me. that's disgusting. Yeah. Well, and not only that, but just from a practical stance for me, like I always like the idea of the field to table. And to me, it's like, especially, so if you get into elk hunting, you know, the the price per pound is significantly more. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) But like when you talk about the upland hunting and the birds and stuff like that, I mean, really, honestly, the only thing you need is a hunting license, a shotgun, and some orange. Right. I mean, it's really kind of all you have in, in ammo. And right. That's really kind of all you have in Now, waterfowl can get a little more expensive. Yeah, because you got you decoys. Got decoys, and, waders, yeah. all that kind of stuff. But, but, but honestly, I'm man, the price anybody, per pound, though, doesn't anybody, make sense to, 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 to waste it. It doesn't make sense. It does not make sense to waste it one bit. You know, I, I try to treat it as um, grocery shopping, you know, trying to save money. That's why I hunt. I save money. I'm sacrificing time to save money. You know, the best way I've heard it put was I was listening to Duck Commander's podcast and they had Phil on there and Phil doesn't go on there very often. You know, he's getting older now. He's in his 80s. And I heard him put it the best way possible. He said, when we were younger, we didn't just go out into the woods and go and kill animals for the fun of it. We went out there to kill animals to supplement our food because we didn't have that. We we couldn't just go to the grocery store. We had to go out there and, and hunt or we weren't eating. Yeah, right. You know, and a, a lot of hunters now aren't aren't like that. And you, people in general. I mean, we're just pretty, we're a pretty comfy society right. when it comes to that. I, I tell people, like, uh, uh, they're like, uh, who was I talking to? I was talking to somebody at the bar. One night we were in at the county seat in Lyons and we were talking about meal prep and uh, it was a nice young lady and she was talking about how she pays so much for beef and I'm to do her meal prep and I'm like, oh man, that stinks. I'm, I'm glad I don't have to do that. Which was like, well, how do you, how do you do that? And I was like, well, I hunt, so I don't, I don't have to pay for meat. You know, I hardly ever buy meat from the grocery store. Why would I do that when I can just shoot it? If I shoot a deer, two deer, it'll last me a whole year. I'll never have to buy beef. I'll never have to buy steaks because I have all that. And, you know, for some, whatever reason, the other thing is, is people just, they they hear wild game and they think gamey. Oh, I'm not going to eat that. Yeah. They're, it's very, people shy away from wild game because they think it's terrible. It's like, oh, it sucks. It doesn't taste, it tastes as good as beef. Well, it's all in the preparation. It's all in the preparation. And my wild game is twice as clean as that beef that you're eating from the store. Well, and also how it was prepared too, you know, like, I mean, if you had a deer that was like gut shot or you, you know, you got a bunch of that on the meat or something, that's obviously going to taint it, but. Or if it's been a bunch of time in Cow Creek with all the wash off, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I might have a, might have a third eye or a third antler growing out of somewhere. It's not supposed to. Well, so that, that's another thing that Nate mentioned that, that comfy society is remember how I was talking earlier in how like we were more ingrained in our community and in our processes. So like, for instance, I took a death and dying class and like when, when people would die in a family, that that family is who prepared the body 
all the way from death to in the ground. Well, we've now been removed from that process by funeral homes, which I don't necessarily, I mean, I'm not saying this is bad, but I'm just illustrating a point. Well, we've had the same thing happen in like our food. With our food, right. Is, is I, we've I know been exactly removed, where you're going you know, with and this. people see like this whole like, you know, well, the, you know, you're slaughtering and like they're suffering and, you know, all this other kind of stuff. And I'm like, no, no, that's not how, how this is working, how this goes. And we've been removed from that process. So you get the people that are now starting to say, well, well, why do you need to shoot the animal? Why don't you just go to the store and get your meat? And it's like, what? Like, like, have you seen some of the videos of like massive cattle yards that are like right. treating them? Like, not, not that not, this is not me villainizing the cattle market, but like there are some when we talk about the bad people, they're treating the animals exceptionally poor. Right. At least this deer had the opportunity because let's face it, like, I, I, let me ask this question. Every time you go out and hunt, every single time you bring something home, right? No. Exactly. So 90% of the time you don't. Yeah. Yeah. So no. that, that deer at least a lived its life had its freedom to go wherever it wanted, do whatever it did, and then you had to essentially play the game or get lucky right? and and be able to harvest that. Like, Whereas a cow stands in a field, or most some, most of the big places stands in the middle of a pen, gets fed a couple of times a day, and waits to die. Cows. Waits right, to die. And waits to die. Like the other night, I, I had a shot on a buck. I could. He was at 30 yards. I could have took him. Could have took him. He was being real antsy on my pile. I was... I was at full draw. I was ready. I was ready to shoot. And I just kept looking at him. I'm like, man, he just looks young. He has a nice rack, but he just looks young. And so I I, I loosened up and passed on him. Left you him know. for the neighbor to shoot. Yeah, probably. <laughs> probably. Lance Buckman, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm going to talk to you later. Don't shoot that deer. But well, I think that's another important aspect of somebody that's true, a true hunter. Is you know you know you're you're plugged into your ecosystem, right? Like you're you're witnessing it, you're watching it, you're sitting in it. I mean, you're there, right? Nobody else can say that. And and you made the choice for that deer to continue its passing its genetics on because you're like, wow, that's one good looking deer, but he's small. He's and young. Now he he's, can pass. he's young. He's only yeah. like three, and who knows what if he makes it to six, seven? How how big he could get? You know, it's well, and passing his genetics along right too. to the next, you know, to the next generation. It's it's deer are very very cool in that aspect because that's an animal that you can watch, you know, and reg- you know regularly monitor. It's kind of hard to watch a duck that flies from <laughs> the t- the top of Canada all the way to the tip of Mexico. They're going to be in that same spot for most of their life, right? Deer have a very small traveling range, so you can pretty much monitor them their entire life. It's it's. You know, it's cool seeing some of my buddies that are more advanced and educated deer hunters than I am. They have pictures of deer for seventy years that they've they've watched, and you see a lot of those guys up like in Illinois, Ohio, that kill these big two hundred plus inch deer. They've been watching that deer for eight years, six years, seven years. It's really really cool to see stuff like that. You know, like you said, they're really plugged into their ecosystem. I could show you my Onyx and. I could show you all my little point plots that I have and I can point out to you on the map and how the birds move and, you know, it's, you really are, you have a greater appreciation that gets back to the point I made earlier for God's creation. You really understand how it works and why it works and how nobody on earth could recreate that. 
because yeah. we do not ha- even have a clue. Because sometimes animals do very weird things on their own for no explanation at all. It's so it's so predictable that it's unpredictable, if that makes sense. So predictable, tell us not. Yeah, it's... It's systematically unsystematic? Yes. <laughs> that would be the correct term for that. It's, well, if you, ever, if you take me hunting those days when I go, it'll be the unsystematic days every time. <laughs> every time. <laughs> I don't know. This dude offered for me to come dove hunting one time out at his parents' place. I'm looking forward to that. Oh, man. I've never been dove hunting. Oh, well, that's pretty... Dove hunting's pretty systematic. They're pretty stupid. <laughs> that is a that is an animal the good Lord did not create a create to have a very big brain. No, <laughs> they're 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 pretty dumb. Well, um, also another thing when we talk about being plugged in and all that other kind of stuff is, and also when you when you are watching that animal for a long period of time, there becomes a point where where when you do harvest that animal, it's almost in a way merciful too because when they start that decline. It's going to be like that slow, drawn-out, long, painful death, and now you're basically just... A lot of know. guys name them. Like, they name that deer. Like, I haven't I haven't thought of a name for this one yet, because I've just kind of started watching him, because I'm hunting a different property this year. Yeah, he was antsy in the in the corn pile. Just call him antsy. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Hey, I know Timber Hills, one of the deer that we found, the antlers, his name was Big Red. Like, they recognized the, the deer. The deer off of the sheds? Off of the... No. Well, oh, you found him? We found the head. Oh wow! The full head, and they're like, "That's big red." And Dang. that that ge- deer's genetics were in all the genetics of the deer on that place. Dang! I bet you somebody was upset because yeah. <laughs> they've been watching that deer for a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's you know a lot of guys name them, and you get attached to them because you you watch them for so long, and it's a very spiritual experience too. I, I've I've never taken a big buck, but I've watched. A lot of videos of guys taking big bucks or elk. Um, like, there's a guy, his name is Remy Warren. He's an elk guy that kills a bunch of elk every year. Um, and guys like Cameron Haynes that are very big elk hunters and big deer hunters. But you'll see, you'll, you know, if you really actually get into hunting and watch hunting videos of these guys killing these big animals, it's a spiritual experience. That's what the Lord intended it intended it to be it goes back to the point of everybody being cozy they don't want to see they don't want to see the slaughter part of their food they people don't want to see that and it is it's a humbling and it's a it's a spiritual experience that that's why the native americans treated it with such respect and yeah. why they treated all their animals with such respect and used every every single, single piece of that animal down to the bones yep yep you know it's it's a spiritual experience like like people who get buck fever, you start getting nervous because you're, I mean, you're, you're, you're holding that animal's life in your hands and you're about to take that animal's life. No, yeah, there's no something life. different about shooting a deer versus shooting a bird. Too. Right. Absolutely. It is a different experience. You're, you're watching this massive animal living, standing, breathing, eating right in front of you. You know, it's, there is a little bit of disconnect from birds because I mean, they're just a bird. Well, and there's like millions and millions and millions. Right, of them you like, don't yeah. you don't feel as bad <clears throat> taking a bird, but it's it's a very for a lot of people, and I'm I'm sure it'll happen to me. It's a, you know they burst into tears and start crying because it's a very spiritual experience, um, and that's how the Lord intended it to be. It's not supposed to just be like okay, cool. 
whatever. Even guys that have shot a couple big ones still get emotional when they shoot big ones. It's well, and I think I'll and and you can correct me if you're wrong if I'm wrong because I've never been deer hunting. Um, okay, I've, I've been deer hunting like twice. Um, and was very unsuccessful, but, um, <laughs> that, that seems to be a common theme with deer hunters, <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things too, of, I think it's also not only just the, the connection with the animal, but it's also like you said, the upland hunting of things and stuff like is not, uh, not easy. No. And so you've, you've accomplished a goal that you set out to do that was not easily right. accomplished. You worked hard. So you hard. have a sense of satisfaction with it too. Right. That's all. It's a spiritual experience. Like, like those guys that kill elk and then get all emotional when they kill them. You just climbed a whole mountain to get to that animal. And you gotta climb down that mountain with that animal big ass elk on your back now. People train just to, to run races and climb mountains. Just regularly, not even trying to hunt, let alone with 80 to 90 pounds of gear on your back. It's it's work. Not everybody has the luxury of using, like, horses and stuff like that to try to hunt. It's, it's one of those things, like, with hunting, you've got to enjoy the process along the way. It is a in process. Order, work in work order the to, process, not the outcome. Because 90% of the time, you're not going to shoot shit. Yeah. 90% of the time, like, it's, you're sitting in the woods by yourself. It's a rough, rough fact of life, but yes, it's... There's a, yeah, it's hunting is a science of trial and error. There's going to be a lot of error <laughs> before you find a successful recipe to get the, the desired goal. It's, it's not just going and walking through the park. You know, there's a lot of different steps and you have to be plugged into your environment and know the environment. It, it's not an easy feat to take a big animal period or any animal you know some days ducks are hard to kill because they're you know they're birds are a lot smarter than people give them credit for you know all all animals are and you just it is a process all of them have their own process and it's cool to get to go out and try to figure out how you're going to accomplish that goal and that's with anything in life really that should be everybody's goal like i'm excited about going and killing a duck right versus joe blow over here is excited about going over here to do this interview and try to get this job you know there's a bunch of you, you can learn a lot of life lessons just from hunting and perseverance from hunting that's perseverance and patience are the two biggest lessons i think you could take away from hunting mm -hmm. that you can apply to your life well you were saying that your dad was up here recently and you were kind of sharing that with him. And so is that is that something his first times hunting coming up here? Yeah, or? we we didn't like I said we didn't my dad was never a hunter growing up and he's just he tried to go on an elk hunt, hunt. He pulled it. He got somehow by the grace of God pulled an elk tag in New Mexico. It takes guys about 20 years anywhere from 10 10 to 15 years, 20 years to try to pull a tag. Yeah, cuz it's all based on Mexico. points and all that stuff. Right. Yeah. And not only that, but my dad's a non-resident, and he put in for a tag and pulled a tag on his first try somehow. I mean, it was it was just sheer luck that he even accomplished that. And so we went up there, and we were rookies. We, we did it all wrong. I actually got, you know, that's really when I first started getting into the gym, and I was in pretty, I was in decent shape. When we went on that trip, I was about 250 pounds and I was doing a lot of, trying to do a lot of cardio, trying to get ready for the mountain to see if I could handle it. And even at that weight, 
in that time period a couple years ago, I I I conquered it. I I felt really good up there, and you know it was cool to kind of train for that process. And I f- I'm in even better shape now, so I'm hoping this next year I get to go on an elk hunt because I feel like I can I could do it. I really f- truly feel like I could conquer that conquer a mountain. But we did it all wrong. <laughs> we had no idea what we were getting into. We were rookies, and we went up there, and literally the first day, full day we had, we went straight up to the peak. I mean, we went from driving to Houston. My dad, we flew in from Houston, which is below sea level, and then the next day we were at thirteen thousand feet. Yeah, stupid, <laughs> stupid, stupid, stupid. We went straight up to the top. We were glassing, walking through this timber burn off. It was. It was, my dad was, he was having a tough time because he's, he's about your size. And he, at that time, he hadn't been as good a shape as he is now. And it, he was just having a tough time. And so the second day he started feeling really, really, really bad, like very short, short, shortness of breath. And we were on the mountain and we actually had a snowstorm come in while we were on the mountain. So it started snowing. So we were trying to hustle and get back to the truck. Before it really started ripping up there, because I'm mean, wind, it was wind was blowing forty. We're at like ten thousand feet, and it's snowing super hard. My dad's just not feeling it. So we get back to the house. We go to bed. And my dad's up all night, and he's like, "Man, a very short, short of breath. Had a fever. Was not doing good." He's like, "Man, I I think I need to go to the hospital." So we get to the hospital. His blood oxygen level was like four points above dying. He had no oxygen in his body whatsoever. And he ended up with double pneumonia. Wow. Getting double pneumonia <clears throat> because of because of the elevation change and not going early and acclimating to it. So it was a very humbling experience. But even with even through all that, even through all that struggle and trying to climb the mountain and not doing good, he still caught that bug. He, he's he's so passionate about he's become so passionate about hunting and he wants to he even wants to go back and try to pull a tag again he wants another shot at it so I'm assuming that hunt was not successful you did not fill that tag no we did okay. not fill that tag <laughs> and we and we went in the late season which is really hard to kill elk because, because they they're not stop. being dumb anymore they're not yeah. they're not you know they're not out there bugling and talking they're they're all shut up and hidden down way down in there and just trying to ride out the rest of the season. And so it was just a very, it was a very, um, it was a very inter- it was a very big learning experience to say the least. And, you know, he still even, still has caught that bug. Even with a monumental failure that almost killed him, he still caught that bug. And I took him on a couple of duck hunts and pheasant hunts while he was here and he's loved it. You know, he's just. He's successful on him? Oh yeah. We, the, the first, well, the f- couple Duck hunts and goose hunts, we weren't. But the very first one I took on, took him on when we got here, we actually killed some ducks. And and you should have seen the look on his face. It was cold. He was he was super cold. And oh yeah, because uh, Houston's we're... probably like what? Well, 60s? he he lives in Dallas now, so he's a. I mean, it gets a little colder up there, but I mean, it, not. It's below freezing in Dallas right now. Yeah, not. It's not t- regularly twenties in the morning. I'm I'm used to getting up and working in that and hunting in that. And he was cold. And when when we had those first group of ducks come in and we shot, he was over the moon. He was like, "Wow!" to get to experience and see something that beautiful. Because you know, that's 
we didn't grow up doing that. We grew up, we were fishermen. We grew up fishing in the ocean. That's what we did. That was our connection to nature back home. That's what I, I was passionate about and enjoyed. And I still am to an extent before I moved here, but hunting is just such a more integral part of the ecosystem here than fishing is. And he's, you know, he's, he loved it. He absolutely loved it. And it's, it's hard to share that experience with somebody that hasn't experienced it. It's hard to explain how you feel and what you see and just to grasp that feeling. How long was he here? He was here for a week, the whole week of Thanksgiving. Did he stay, did he stay with you? Yeah. Okay. He stayed at the house. Was that, and that was, that was after you came back from Disney, right? Yes. And so, uh, I, I haven't heard much about the Disney trip other than you got to make like a lightsaber and some other things. You, yeah, still, you was, still have yet to show me. Yeah. I, I keep meaning to. Well, it's funny because <laughs> you weren't like Nelson and brought him and did show and tell when you got back. I was, back. I kept meaning to and I kept, I keep forgetting to, to put it in my truck when I go to the gym because <laughs> I, I got, I also got the, the yeah. Jedi holocron too. It's pretty neat. He's going to come into the gym and just start pulling lightsabers out of his bag. Well, I'd, I'd do it outside of the gym. I, just I mean, ma- I just imagine Wyatt being like that big fat kid you see on Instagram and the memes where he's like, stop going full force when he gets hit in the hand. He's like, <laughs> stop. <laughs> stop <laughs> using full force. <laughs> and I, I'm like, to Wyatt and he falls down in the water and he's like, oh, my pants. <laughs> he's trying to pull that video is so funny. So but I actually on the, on the way back, from Florida, I didn't I didn't realize it till the other week. I, I pulled it out because I was messing with it, and uh, I guess on the plane ride, the tip of the blade got cracked, and so like the lights messing up on it. And I'm like, Are you kidding me? <laughs> so now I got to order a new blade so it looks right. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll promise I'll show you. But uh, that spending that time with my family at Disney was awesome. I would it, say, was that worth the the money that you had to spend? It was very there? expensive. It was very expensive, and we decided to eat at like all the expensive restaurants. <laughs> but well, it's it's. I think that's one of those things where it's an experience. Man. It you is. Well. You're, you're paying for the experience. Yeah, you might as well. It was to me. You know, I'd have been happy just sitting at the house and just you know having a nice dinner and just getting to spend that time with my family. But man. It really adds to it. Like you, you get to experience all that neat stuff. And we haven't been to the parks since we were young. And the 15 years we haven't been to Disney, they've added on and built a lot. So mm-hmm. there was a lot more to see and do. So it was really, really cool to get to go and experience all that new stuff and get to spend that time with my family. Cause I, I'm the only one that lives here in Kansas. I have an older sister that lives in Illinois and the rest of my family is in Texas. So we're pretty spread out. Um, so. When I do get to spend time with my family, I value it greatly because, you know, I, I don't get to spend time with them all the time. Well, I remember seeing you in Subway like right before you left and you were like, you were like, yeah, nobody's calling through except Nate. He's the only one. Yeah, I literally through. had I literally had everybody shut off except for like Nate and my boss because he's my yeah, landlord right, too. Right. Like yeah. I had everybody else turned off. I turned off all my notifications on all my social media, everything. I, it, it no, I, I. Like you said, I, I don't have a very huge social media presence. I'm not. I'm not a big believer in it. I mean, I use Snapchat, but I, I use that to communicate with a lot of people a lot of the times. Like you don't see me posting on Instagram and stuff a lot, which I've tried to be a little better about, like sharing stuff on my stories that I believe in a little bit more, like, like sharing sharing the show for the for Real AF and sharing y'all's podcast and well, the stuff I, on like what. The stuff on like Teddy Roosevelt or whatever. Yeah, and, it was and, the... and if I do see something that is hunting related, like there's a 
there was a law that was trying to get passed in Oregon uh, to for uh, on a ban against hunting, like period, like a big ban against hunting. They were trying to block. I can't remember exactly what it was, but you know, share, trying to share stuff like that. I'm passionate about like, yeah, I'm passionate about a lot of stuff that's going on in the country right now. And I think in Oregon, it was similar to what California did on the magazines. Yeah, I think it was something along those lines. But, you know, there's a lot of different issues and stuff that goes on in the country that's going on in the country right now. And I try to post in uh, stuff that's more relevant to me, I guess I could say. Um, Obviously, I'm going to post stuff about guns because obviously guns have play a big role in my my pastime and. I mean, I guess you could say my job, you know, it's, so I, I, I try to not get too political. I don't like to get very political with people. Uh, but if you were to classify me, I would be probably old school conservative in that sense. So if you can't, can't understand somebody from that perspective or get a grip of the kind of guy that I am from that perspective, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> well, so I have a question. So what happens if from from what you've seen in like in hunting if Kansas just said no more hunting it's done it's finished like what would you see happen to like the population higher of game? taxes population of game like what and, would, what would happen to them oh dude it, deer or, here would become like hogs be like they Oklahoma. would be they'd be running rampant the deer would be destroying everything cuz i mean they there's already a huge population of deer here i actually think they need to up the only people that can get a lot of deer tags are, are landowner yeah. tenants. Saying that they're destroying stuff or yeah, whatever. That, yeah. I think they need to up the general resident tax because the farmers can't can't shoot that many deer. And what are you going to do with that many deer? Yeah, they're not a small animal. That's the important piece of we that. We get equation. a bunch more deer and you're going to have to work a lot more accidents. Yeah. yeah that's that's, that's another thing from a, just from a, a Department of Transportation. You know how many, you know how many people hit deer? Yeah, I I've listen. Hit, I listen to it on the radio every day. Yes, I've hit three since I've moved here, and it, it cracks me up because people be like, "Oh, I've lived here my whole life, never hit one." I'm like, "Well, good for you. I've hit three. <laughs> you know, they're a problem." Yeah, I've well, hit two in the past four years. Yeah, the 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 Rice County SO is on like case number like 500 for the year, and I bet you, I bet you, close to half of those are deer versus vehicle accidents. Wow. That would be my and and I don't know that for sure. I could be talking out my ass, but. but it, it's it's quite a vehicle. large yeah it's a quite a large amount and of if, their cases if they if they outlawed hunting not just from a deer perspective even waterfowl because geese geese can destroy fields mm-hmm. easily my grandpa hates geese they're because terrible they, a wheat field they'll just they're like flying destroy it they're like flying hogs <laughs> they will destroy a wheat field I mean I remember there's a there's a field in McPherson over there by the by their big plants. That you can't hunt because they're too close to the plants, and the geese love them, and they're always wheat fields. You can watch at the beginning of, this, of the season that field will be that winter wheat will be green, and then if you drive by, the, I bet you if you drove by that field once a week for the three months you have during the season, you'll watch that field slowly just becoming brown or 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 black because it's just getting turned into more dirt every every week because they're just slowly just eating the entire field. So the whole field is basically just to feed the geese. And he's got to plant everything else around and hope they don't touch it. Huh. It's they they are destructive. I mean, ducks go out and eat corn. They'll they'll go out in fields and eat. They're not as destructive cuz they're a little smaller. 
Um, a lot of that corn's already been cut, though. Yeah. But still, it could be cattle feed. And, that and not only that, or... but if all that goes up, your predators are going to start going up. So you're going to start right. getting coyotes, yep. badgers, all those types of animals in places that they should not be. Like Bigfoots. Yeah. Coming out of the woodwork. <laughs> it, it would, I mean, you have to have hunting. You have to have population control. But now, with how much you know our world is developing and habit, you know, habitat loss is such a big thing, people aren't really worried about about um, wildlife numbers because they're doing a good job of killing it with just the concrete that they pour. Well, yeah, and the same thing with people that are on the the vegan slash vegetarian drain is like how many animals were displaced from you know that specific area of whatever it is that's being grown of those animals right. that Far- are being killed. Farming but- is detrimental to habitat. Yeah, right, right. I mean, that's nothing. Oh, here we go. Blame- blaming the farmers again. Oh, oh, fucking farmers. Oh, my gosh. I wasn't even going to say that. I'm not- and that's not knocking farmers. Farmers are the root of all of our evils. Well, there, right. is that better? Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. So <laughs> This guy. Um. Thinks his hemp farm is just destroying the ecosystem. He's yeah. terrible. Don't buy his product. <laughs> Devil's lettuce. <laughs> <laughs> well, you talk to some people. That's what it is. No, hundred percent. Oh, it's it it's it's it does destroy the habitat. But honestly, it does do. I mean, farmers do actually do help. They're stewards of the land. Yeah, they they do actually indeed help animal populations because they're basically providing them with free food. Well, the thing that I love about what Nate, your family is doing is, is like, it's different from anything I've ever heard before, ever. Like the regenerative agriculture? Yes. yes. I mean, so I would say that you guys are doing it the right way for sure. And eventually I think it'll be more mainstream for that to happen. There's farmers up in... Some of it's easier too. There's farmers up in uh, like Michigan that do it like they do regenerative agriculture. On a big scale? On a big scale. And they have zero input cost for fertilizer. And chemical. Wow. Huh. That's... Why would you not want to do that? That is really impressive. Why would you not want to have zero inputs? Like, what? Obviously, you're going to have diesel and stuff and roll crimp things and this and that, but, like, your major costs, your major input costs are chemical and fertilizer. Well, and you were saying they make make, uh, dirt, they don't have soil by Mm -hmm. doing all of that. Yeah, they destroy it. <clears throat> and then it's just, you got topsoil, soil, it's your first two inches, you know? Mm-hmm. And then that stuff just washes away or blows away with your next dirt storm. Dust and storm, big rain, it's gone. It's in the creek. <laughs> and a lot of farmers catch a lot of flack for erosion, you know? That's the big, uh, one of the big things with big agriculture is, oh, they're causing all this erosion and all this and whatnot, and that's why a lot of farmers got blamed for the dust bowl. Like, well, you can't really blame the, I mean, you can't really blame them for that much. I mean, it's not the impact on the environment that farmers has is very, very minimal. It's just gradually over time when it would become a detriment, and we probably wouldn't even see the major effects of big agriculture even in our lifetime. But the thing is, is like farmers have the power to like reverse this climate change issue Absolutely. that we're seeing. Like, Absolutely. Because I mean rainforests are being destroyed. Yes. Like that is a that's a big issue. But oh, yeah, everybody hates the timber industry. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, th- that's what I don't get. You know like what creates more oxygen per acre? 
than an acre of trees. An acre of grass. Right. There's so much more oxygen produced in an acre of grass than an acre of trees. Just because, like, there's a lot more plant material. And, um, like, when you do regenerative, you've got plants on the ground all the time, all year round. And you're producing more oxygen. And we have a lot more acres than is being destroyed in the rainforest to, like, help with this issue. Right. And bring in the carbon. And it's really cool that, like, to combat some of that, that Kansas has the the CRP, the Native Grasses Program, that they do. So you'll see a lot of guys, like a lot of people here, plant circles. And they'll keep their corners of their fields CRP, and the state pays them to keep them that way to help with them. To help with that issue right there, and environmental and conservation issues for yeah. upland birds. Well, get, yes, it gives birds place to go and everything. Yeah, like it's that. it's really really neat program, and I think a lot of a lot more places around the country should have that. I think it should be national law because not every state has that. I think that's that's you know that should be something that be implemented in every state. Now those farmers get paid enough money to make it worthwhile to not pay right make that into crop. Too. Not and obviously with how greedy. You know, state governments and national government is now n- not every state's going to pass that because I'm like, oh, great, that's more money we have to get back yeah, to. Yeah, right. But you know, it should. I think it should be put into law for every state to have that. It's it's such it's so good for the environment, and people complain about hunters and you know bad for the environment, farmers bad for the environment, killing things. Well, you. Re- People don't realize that 90% of the conservation that goes on in this country is by hunters and farmers because they are all part of conservation programs. All of them. Like, I'm, like your, your mom has a whole bird sanctuary she's bur- uh, built in the backyard. Yep. You know? Well, the thing that blew me away for her was, you know, like for me when, I'm, when I was taught gardening, it was like, you know, that's a weed, that's a weed, that's a weed, that's a weed, get rid of it kind of thing. And, um... When I was helping them put down leaves to cover like the to cover the garden or whatever, there was one I was like, hey, because we were weed eating like a few things just to kind of knock some stuff down. And I was like, do you want me to get rid of that? And she's like, does it have a flower on it? And I was like, yeah. She's like, nope. She's like, leave it. But it was like a pretty big what you would consider like invasive kind of weed. I have no idea what it was called. Don't ask me. But, you know, she's talking about, like, well, it's good, you know, for the bees and all this other kind of stuff. So, it's, like, just a different, like, thought process. Absolutely. And, and just Dandelions. Small things. That's your one of your first, like, um, pollen sources for bees in the spring, like, after we're done freezing is dandelions and everybody sprays them and kills them. Yeah. I remember when I was a kid, the daycare I had just had tons and tons and tons of dandelions out in this, like, big open area that we would, like, play football and soccer and all that other kind of stuff, we saw bees constantly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, Love constantly. Them. And I don't see bees constantly anymore. <laughs> the the crazy part about, like, the regenerative agriculture is, like, when you get rid of the chemicals, like, eventually your natural, like, species, your native species, are going to start like, coming back. They're going to take over because they're the ones that are made to live here. Whereas these other plants, they're invasive for a reason. That means they came from somewhere else. And they're not necessarily adapted to be in the native soils. Well, the issue is we don't have native soils anymore because they're destroyed. So once you get them back to that native state, that's when you can really produce good crops. Well, and, and that's the key here is like KDWP. They're, they're, they're getting all this, this money from like tags and, 
and all this other kind of stuff. Essentially, I mean, if you think about it, you know, getting getting a tag, getting a license, I mean, is, is a tax. Essentially, right. it's it's and, a tax it, from the government. Right. So why not invest that stuff back into those conservation things mm-hmm. like a and CRP that's what they're intended and all that for. Other kind of stuff. And yeah. That is what and I'm not and I'm, and I'm not saying they're not. But when we talk about the CRP stuff of like make, maybe making it to where you could have like whole fields that way and make it make it People, and they useful do. for a farmer. Like we have we have a whole half section that we get paid for that is CRP, and the state pays us to keep it that way. And they farm they farm. But all is it worthwhile it. monetarily though? That I could not tell you. I'm not too sure how that works. Because you I mean, have any insight on that? I don't know any, any of that. It's supposed to be like to where you can. Like, it's worthwhile enough to where you don't have to plant crops on that ground. Okay. But, I mean, for the most part, it's like a break-even. So you're getting $5 an acre. You know, whereas right. you might get $12, $14 an acre from corn some years. Or and more. A, and a lot of people that do that, that have that, and make a whole field CRP, if they, you know, and they could have a field that's not great for growing, right? It's like, take, for instance, they have a field that's not going to be really all that doesn't have a good soil content to grow anything. They can just let it go to native grasses and the state will pay them for it. And they'll register it in the Weehaw program, which is the walk-in hunting area yeah. program that the state has. So it's private ground that's opened up to the public. That's all CRP that you can go and walk. It's the, so the farmer's getting paid for his ground being CRP. And not only that, but he's sharing it with his neighbor is, 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 Anybody could go out there and who doesn't have that, that opportunity most of the time. For yeah, who who wouldn't that, have that opportunity? That would be probably the biggest, um, like I would say, barrier to entry for me is the ground. Yeah, that would be the biggest barrier to entry to, for me. Like, of course, you could do the walk-in hunting areas and stuff, but um, you know, I, I used to like work for a farmer and stuff like that, and but but I feel guilty because I haven't worked for him, so I'm not going to be like, hey, yeah, you know, I like, can I, I hunt I, your ground? Yeah, yeah, a lot of guys paid that, like. Uh, like some of our, a lot of our stuff, we pay a lot of money for leases and that's a big problem you're going to run into anywhere, especially when it comes to waterfowl. It's hard to get on good fields because right. people, it becomes a bidding war with <clears throat> outfitters and other people. You know, I'm a public land hunter. That's how I hunt ducks. Uh, I I can't afford duck leases and, and stuff like that. Cause I mean, not some of those are like 15 grand a year. Yeah. Not everybody has for a duck lease. Good yeah. God almighty. Yeah. Just to kill ducks. It's not everybody has that type of money. So again, I'm, talking about that price per pound, yeah. putting uh, Jesus. When it when it comes to stuff like that, most of those guys like they've got fuck you money. Yeah, it's not the it's, guys that are paying for that kind of stuff. It's are. not those are those are a lot of your your sport killers. They're not they're not out there to to go and get groceries. You know, they're not out there for the meat. They're out there for the experience, and just because they love to shoot ducks that much, they're willing to pay that much. Or, or you got like some big outfitting agency that's bringing multiple groups of people in to at least to help cover that cost. I'm Absolutely. sure you've seen it guiding, but you can tell the difference between a group that's like busted their ass to pay for this trip to come out and hunt versus those that guys have, that just come and do it for like a company Christmas deal where it's paid for for them and it's right. like. They just don't have the respect for it like those other guys. Say, Absolutely. Is, is that maddening to you sometimes? Do you get frustrated with that? I get paid either way. <laughs> they can do whatever they want with their birds. <laughs> well, I mean, as far as like, because you're, you're so in tune and you're so connected to I see do, them kind of be I nonchalant do see about it. some people that, well, not, not necessarily nonchalant. A lot of people love it. A lot of people get a kick out of it because it's not something they get to experience all the time. 
but you do get those people that um you do have guys that come in and hunt that hunt a lot and we're not the only guided trip they've been on that year you know we have guys that have hunted in several states doing the exact same thing we're doing but they just wanted to come and do it in kansas because it's a different experience you know some guys do it for the experience some guys do it just because they like to kill birds some guys actually do it for the meat but you know it does it does get under your skin a little bit sometimes when you can kind of tell some of the guys that are just there to just shoot them and then they're just like okay i'll just take my birds and you know who knows i could probably just go home and throw them in the trash when they get home so or let it sit in the freezer for five years oh darn it's got freezer burn throw it away yeah it kind of sucks and i mean i'm not gonna say i'm not guilty of that i mean it it happens you just kind of forget about stuff and especially when you're restocking what you have constantly like I've got ducks from. Come two. on, man! You worked at Sonic. You know the yeah. old comes to the front, the new goes to the back. Yeah. You should know this. I know, and I'm I'm bad about that. <laughs> I, like I've got, I think the oldest thing I have is like I I have a bag of teal that's like two years old that I need to cook, and I mean it's froze, so I'm not too worried about yeah. it. But I try to be pretty good about eating everything that I have. Like I just finally finished a deer from last year, the other day, and I ate on that deer all year. It was cool because I, I ground it up myself. And I used it in my meal prep all year, so I never had to buy meat. It was awesome. But it, it, it does get pretty frustrating when you can just tell the guys that are just out there to kill, because that's all they want to do. They're like, man, I wish we could have killed more. Well, you already got your limit. Yeah, well, we, well, at least we're coming back tomorrow and just shoot some more birds. I just love it. You know, that's <coughs> that's a terrible <laughs> attitude to have. I mean, and that's kind of what we we do. I mean, we're, we're there to kind of help. It's essentially entertainment. You're, you're fill, an entertainer. Fill that entertainment aspect of it a little more. <coughs> but, you know, versus somebody that actually goes out and walks the miles, you know, because doing it by yourself is also very tough. When you have a bigger, a bigger group and a bigger number of guys, it's a lot easier to get, get a lot of birds up because you're covering a lot more ground. When you're out there doing it by yourself, that's a lot of work because you're, you can only can cover so much ground and you're one guy. That's when the dogs really come in handy. Yes. <sighs> Absolutely, and and if it's warmer out and they're running, that's even worse. Yeah, because then then, then you're, you're just, just walking for fun, just, essentially. Yeah, you're just walking <laughs> for fun and praying that one's dumb enough or the dog has it pinned and it gets up when you get close to it. That's another thing I love about that is like when when they they do flush and you hear that sound because it's always distinct. Like oh, it's every so bird, cool. and it's that like little bit of an adrenaline rush as well. Oh, when such, you, it's when intoxicating. You hear the wing, yeah, when you hear the wing beats, yeah, or like when you're sitting in the duck blind. Uh, when when ducks come over, it sounds like a jet just flew over your head. You just hear a whoosh. It's a it's a really really cool sound to hear. Well, and it's like it's like you, you know what animal it is too, based yeah. on how it sounds. Um, how it sounds, yeah. right? Like a quail sounds different from a pheasant getting up. Right. It's you know it's a terrifying sound when you walk up on a turkey sitting on their nest oh. in a wheat field, and they get up two foot away from you. Yeah. You want to talk about terrifying? <clears throat> yeah. That is loud, and they about smack you in the face with their wings. And I remember I was sitting under a tree one morning, and I was turkey hunting, and they were being quiet that morning. And I'm sitting there under this tree, and all of a sudden, this turkey gobbles. I mean, and for people that aren't turkey hunters, they call it spring thunder for a reason. I mean, it is incredibly loud on on a on a nice spring morning when they're when they're starting in full strut you can hear that turkey from two miles away if it's a calm day i mean they're it is incredibly loud 
and I was sitting under this tree, and he gobbled right behind me, and I, my ears rung for 10 minutes. It was that loud. I mean, it is, it is an unmistakable sound for sure. And, you know, every animal has their own, own thing. Like if you walk into the woods and you'll hear a deer snort, like you'll hear them. It's, you, you, you know exactly what that is as soon as you hear it. You know, every, every animal has their own little thing that they do. Mine would be, my terrifying one would be, walking through some thick brush and you just hear like crashing where you think like to me it was like a i thought there was like a deer or or bigger crashing and it ended up being a bobcat that we scared that was running away and i was like i was like thank god it's going that way hearing them screech is quite an experience i've never heard that terrifying it's terrifying it sounds like a it sounds like a witch being burned at the stake yeah, it's like very, very little girl screaming. It's very eerie. bloody murder. So, is it like similar to like a? Have you ever heard a donkey scream? Like the the way they scream. Ye- is it similar to that? Mm. No, they're pretty distinct. They're pretty distinct. <laughs> but it's it's a very, very distinct. Sound. Yeah, and if you didn't know what it was, you'd be freaked the hell out. Mm, yeah, it will. I remember when we went elk hunting. We were we were at the cabin one night. When we were done for the day, and we were sitting out there, and we heard an elk bugle, and that's a very distinct sound. It's pretty cool to hear. But there's a mountain lion up on the cliff, and he went off, and that is a sound I will never forget, because it is like that bobcat on steroids. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, it is, it's a, it's like a witch's scream that's amplified by like a megaphone. It's so loud, and it's a very, very eerie sound. It, it'll chill you to the bone, because huh. he was so close, too. <laughs> that's what really made it scary. <laughs> I mean, it's it's unforgettable. Um. Yeah, I don't even know how to begin to explain. I've I've never heard of. I've never seen a mountain lion, honestly. Like everybody in my family has seen one around our house. It was it was dark outside, so I didn't even see it either. That's also what made it super scary. Yeah, I've never heard one. I've heard some bobcat screeches and louder out of my parents, and I'm like, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Yeah. Um. But that's one thing. I one of these days I'll really like to see. It's it's an experience for sure. So what time do you gotta be awake? Not not super late. I'm I'm not worried I'm not worried about it. Oh, okay. Well, because you know, I've been drinking like two thirds of a gallon of water and we're at an hour and forty seven minutes. Oh dang. <laughs> <laughs> Has it really been that long? Yeah. Well I'm, but it's been a good conversation though. Mm-hmm. Like I don't I don't want to feel like I'm shutting you down or anything like oh, that. I mean if if your game to keep going, I'll I'll talk as long as you want so, me to. Well, I still have a bunch of stuff to do today, too. So that have sure. to get done. Shut her down. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, man, thanks for being here. Dude, like, that was fun. I'm glad it, I'm, I'm excited I got to come on. Like, that was like a really was, organic, too. Like, it just flowed. Like, there yeah, was, it was a, really a blast. Whole lot. I'm sorry it turned into like a hunting podcast. I know yeah. a lot of you guys it is are whatever it is, probably man. not used to that. But I'm a little Cameron Haynes on here. I, you know, it's what I'm, <laughs> that's what I'm passionate about. And I'm passionate, not just passionate about hunting. I'm passionate about conservation as well. You should always do your best to try to get out and take care of your environment, whether it's the little ecosystem in your backyard, your little garden, your little flower garden, or leave it nicer than your, when you found it. Right. Your little garden, even your, your, your friendly neighborhood park. If you see trash in your park, people trashing it, pick up the trash, just put it away. It's, it's not that hard. You could, you could save that little park squirrel from eating something that he's not supposed to be dying for no reason. You know, that, that, 
that squirrel is just as important to the ecosystem as a deer or a bird. Or... It's like the the or the book the butterfly effect, right? Where the you know you crush the butterfly and now future is different because absolutely every <clears throat> even down to the ants. You see a little ant pile and it's not disturbing you. It's not in your way. Don't, leave it alone. Don't go over there and mess with those ants. But let them do their thing. They're they're there for a reason. They're an intricate part of the ecosystem. Uh, and honestly, just be nice to people. It's yeah. not that hard. I vote I vote Wyatt for you know head of KDWP. Yeah, I wish. Then he'd be Jansen's boss. <laughs> no, I definitely vote for it. Oh my lord! I'm gonna do voter fraud to vote for it. <laughs> yeah, he would. Uh, I don't think he'd take to that. Very light, that very likely. Odd. How are you going to put somebody off as weaker than me? That's, that's exactly what I. That's exactly what Jansen would say. That's right. Uh, he's like he doesn't even. He's not even close to my level. Ain't no way he's going to be my boss. But no, I'm. I'm glad you guys had me on. It's. It's cool to get to. I guess I don't get to talk about it very often. You know, I don't have a lot of friends that are. I have like two friends that are big hunters, so we just kind of talk about this kind of stuff amongst ourselves. So it's cool to get to share it to a bigger audience because not everybody has that same perspective that i do and and you get to share with all 12 of our listeners (laughs) (laughs) it's more than that but the cool thing is it also kind of gets to live into that perpetuity as well as you know you were talking about the sharing your experiences with your kids in the journal like this is kind of like modern day journaling right absolutely i you know i i guess i i didn't even put it into that perspective you know somebody could listen to this 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road. As long as Nate doesn't cancel his credit card. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Down the road and where this might not even be an option for people anymore. You know, they'll get to, it's history. It's a part, and hunting has been a part of our history. And and also it's been interesting to see how, like, after we had Janine Long on, and she was talking about some issues that she had with insurance and getting insurance to pay her and stuff. She had people from insurance reach out to her that had listened to the podcast saying, how can we help you? Right. That's cool. And so, like, who knows how that could be for you as well when it's like, hey, we've got this conservation thing we want to do. Like, you were the guy we were looking for. You never know. Like, right. Never yeah. Know. Like, that's something that's like that really, too. I never even thought about that either. So, it's a great networking tool. So, hey, you bankers out there, let's uh, figure something out in the cannabis industry. <laughs> yeah you've been listening for this long you haven't done a thing to help my boy out come on where are you at holy crap that was like a 90 degree turn <laughs> oh man all right take it away nate well guys thanks for listening to the higher points uh thanks for coming on wyatt absolutely good podcast and uh Go ahead and like our social media if you would. Give us a share and if you enjoy, like, uh, leave us a review and just tell your friends about us. Yeah, please share the podcast. Don't forget we're renting out the podcast studio if you want to make your own podcast or, you know, wants to see what it looks like, how it works, you know, what you want your podcast studio to look like or anything like that. Just reach out to us, uh, www.thehigherpoints.com and click on the contact page. You can find us on all major social media pretty much at The Higher Points. So we appreciate you listening to us. We'll catch up with you guys next time. See you guys.